when we start thinking about the good stuff, we put all the negatives on the back burner and zero in on those things that make us wax nostalgic and feel good about the time that we were in that religion. So the good stuff can actually be some of the most toxic stuff, which is kind of sad. You might change your thinking or opinions on some things, but whether or not you let them keep harming you isn't a matter of growth. It's a matter of making the right decisions so you can grow. Ditching bad habits, toxic behaviors, people, and places is a process. It's never quote unquote over. It's an ongoing effort that requires certain decisions to be made literally every day, at least for a while. We question our reasons for leaving or wanting to leave. We tell ourselves that we're being selfish when in reality, it's that rational part of our brain trying to get us to see reason. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. No turning back. No turning back. It was a line in a popular song we used to sing about our commitment to Christ and to living according to a certain code. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Well, what about when you finally find your way out? No turning back is good policy then, too. It's actually much better policy, but lots of people still do it. I was six months out and pissed at God and still looked back and wound up going back to church and staying in church for more than 10 more years. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight, we are going to look at what happens when we start looking back and giving certain thoughts, memories, and feelings the floor after making the decision to leave evangelicalism. Unfortunately, people, as a general rule, have a tendency to gravitate toward things they know to be self-destructive, and a religion that was once a central part of your life is a huge example. It's right up there with starting up smoking again after months or years and getting back with an abusive ex. In fact, it's way more like the latter than it is the former. But before we get into any of that, There's nothing that reveals the truth of your character more than when you flat out admit that you're trying to appeal to a wealthy demographic. Mm. Apparently, Kat Kerr is redefining missions and ministry with an emphasis on the rich, which is pretty rich in and of itself, Mm. I think. And if one self-indulgent nutter isn't enough for you, just wait. There's more on this edition of Christians Behaving Badly I'm calling Storing Up Treasures on Earth. Served with a side of Texas-style misogyny because these days, who the fuck even does it better than Texas? Hey, I can't tell you. So while last week on Prophet Corner I talked about Robin Bullock, this week Cat Care has been prophesying all over the place. Or maybe she's just lying. Potato, potato. True. Anyway, since all the public school parents in Florida are concerned about critical race theory being taught to their children, which wouldn't happen anyway because it's generally taught sometimes in law school, Cat Care has decided to do them a favor and has commanded a million angel army to combat it. A million angels. A million angels. Now that's commitment. It's something. 
While talking to the perpetually gullible Steve Schultz from the Elijah Streams show, she tells him, I very specifically commanded the army to shut the mouth of everyone trying to be involved in that situation, to pull down and shred platforms that would empower wicked people to do things. She goes on to say, if you picture yourself standing as like a general in front of a real military, you could walk up there and say, okay, y'all go here and go do that, and y'all go over there and do that. They need orders. Well, Heaven's Army is just the same. And she would know, wouldn't she? She would know. With the sheer number of times she's been there. Yeah, she's been to Heaven a lot of times. Apparently. Yeah. Now, this isn't the first time she's spoken of her own personal angel army. She only dispatched 1,000 angels to oversee the Trump victory in 2020. She was less committed to that. I guess. She was a 1,000 times less committed to that. I guess. For that one, they were given special red, white, and blue robes. In May of 2021, she sent them to protect Israel. All of them? Like, all million or just a 1,000 that time, too? Actually, I think she she upped it to a million Okay. This week, she's dispatched even more angels to wreak havoc and terror on the White House as long as Biden resides in it. There's more of that Christian love that we know so well around here. Mm. She seems really peeved this time. I take power over all the power of the enemy that is involved in activity in the White House. I command my hosts of heaven, a hundred million, to go... Now we're up to a hundred million. Yeah. To go there now and 24 hours a day for the next 10 days or 30 days, you will release the terror of God upon those places, upon the people doing those things, that they will come to repentance or great fear will fall upon them, and they will sometimes just stop what they're doing. Go host, make toast. Are you quite serious? Go host, make toast. Yes. And I just want to make one more observation that I kind of started on a second ago here. Um, now we're up to a hundred million. Yes. We want to antagonize Joe Biden with a hundred million angels. Yes. Okay. We want to fight critical race theory mm. with a million angels. Mm. We only needed a thousand for Donald Trump. So you can sort of tell where her priorities lie here. Yeah. And who she hates the most based on how many angels she's willing to sick on them. Yes. Because in two of these instances, she's literally sicking angels on people or on situations. Yeah. But I guess what was the whole thing with a thousand for 45? What was that? I think she overestimated Trump's chances and only sent a thousand because she thought he had it in the bag. So these were like token angels token she sent them as a courtesy well they're the ones that also helped in the 2016 election so i guess it was more like an honor card okay all right fair enough i'm not exactly sure what ms care has been smoking but i kind of want some of that yeah me too I don't know about you, but man, this seems like arrogance personified. So God has given her cat care of the pink hair and magical staff who tries unsuccessfully to deter hurricanes and other weather patterns charge over at least a thousand and at most 100 million angels. 
Yeah, and you know what? I think I might have mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were talking about her and the whole magic staff thing. Yes. I'm not the only one who has noticed this. Yes. I've been watching some atheist content on YouTube, and one of them, I forget who it was, I forget which content creator it was, that actually stood there and said, this woman is a witch. Yes. And they love her anyway. Yeah. Because, I'm sorry, that was precisely what I was thinking when she's standing there with that staff trying to wave off a hurricane. You know, I can yeah. remember doing something similar at one point when there was supposed to be some really nasty heavy weather coming through here. And I actually was in circle and making my appeal to the wind elementals and saying, okay, can you not... Let this bad thing happen here. Yeah. So that was a memory that came to mind when I saw her with that stupid staff and just waving it at the hurricane. And yeah, she's basically a witch that says the right things for them to just nod and agree with. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so she's female Christian Gandalf. Pretty much. Yeah. Amazing. And apparently this nonsense really pays off. In a rare, not on Elijah's streams sermon, she shares another ministry opportunity God has given her, a ministry to the wealthy of America. Isn't that convenient? It is so convenient. In her sermon, she explains how God has rewarded her for her faithfulness with her pick of a million-dollar home. It's been on the market for 150 days in a place where you don't even find houses anymore, in a beautiful gated community. Because, he said, I will infiltrate you into the circles of the wealthy and the rich. It's another assignment. I hope they're ready. I hope they like pink hair because I'm invading Queens Harbor. Oh, for shit's sake. Okay. Yeah. I guess lying to gullible people about visions and prophecies seems to be pretty lucrative. Well, let's see how well her neighbors like her. I would love to just be able to interview some of them after she's been there a year and see what they think of her. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. They're in Florida and they're wealthy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Chances are, yeah. So she might actually find herself among some like-minded people. Probably. But, you know, she's so totally and completely batshit that they, I'm here's hoping that all of her neighbors are as drunk on the Kool-Aid as she is. Yeah, right. Because that's the only way this is actually going to work out. Can you imagine just the gall of proclaiming that rich people are now your mission field? Yeah. Give me just a small break. Really? Just Just a small, just a, a little itty-bitty insignificant little break. Yeah, right. Next up, grifters got a grift, even from behind bars. This is the story of Todd Kuntz, a Christian preacher who also offered financial advice through Rock Wealth International Ministries. Back in 2017, he was charged with tax fraud. Why? Because he was claiming personal expenses as business expenses. Rookie mistake. Yeah. He must not be very good at it because don't all these guys do that? Or at least declare them ministry expenses. No, what the real smart ones do is they let the ministry buy the property. Right. So their name isn't really on it. It's owned by an entity. Yes. Not an individual. But I don't think that he was smart enough to get that. He didn't have the sit down with Kenneth Copeland, evidently. Evidently. Mm -hmm. And here's a short list of the things he declared. 
His $1.5 million condo, even though it was his family property, was declared a business expense. Because how are you going to communicate the kind of abundance that is available to you if you don't have that abundant life to begin with? So yeah, I can absolutely see how his home would be a ministry expense. Yeah. On a philosophical level, but certainly not on an IRS kind of level. Yeah, no. His several luxury cars? Oh, those belong to his ministry. So because does of his boat. They do. And his boat does too. And all of the clothes and jewelry he bought. And about $140,000 for meals and entertainment. So the ministry had to be entertained. I guess. I mean, if that's ministry property then wouldn't it be the ministry having the benefit of that entertainment? Yeah. yeah. I don't know, that's, man. That's what it sounds like to me. Mm. In 2019, he was found guilty and spent one night in jail before bringing an appeal. He argued the conviction all the way up to the Supreme Court, who batted down his last appeal this past February. I'm amazed. I know. He's set to be released in 2025. Wow. Mm. So he's actually going he's, to do time. He's actually in jail as we speak. He needs to touch base with Kenneth Copeland. He really does. <laughs> when he gets out. Yeah, when he gets out so that he doesn't wind up back in. Yeah, right. It's like, hey, idiot, here's how you present all of this. Yeah, right. Because there are ways. I yeah. Mean, there are ways, even to me, that are obvious beyond the way that he did this. He yeah. got greedy and he got sloppy. And now he's in jail. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happens when you get greedy and you get sloppy. Yeah. You wind up in jail over shit like this. Uh-huh. But, of course, the grift never ends, as he has been found to be sending fundraising emails without mentioning the fact that he's incarcerated. And this is illegal. Of course it's illegal. I'm trying to figure out how he's even gaining access to his email list from behind bars. Maybe. Unless he's just relaying shit to people who are visiting him. Yeah, either way, he can't run or direct a business from jail. Right. Conducting a scam while being in jail for scamming is a special kind of stupid you don't see every day. And it could increase his sentence. If they decide to bring more charges against him, he could be in for even longer. So this is a clear case of you need to quit while you're behind. Yeah, right. But here's what he's been writing in said emails. He urges supporters to sow your seed through donations to his ministry. He asks for donations of $100, $500, and even $1,000, which is the millionaire's receiver's seed, saying that God is birthing millionaires, and those donors can expect three supernatural harvests. Not one, not two, but, but three. <laughs> I really hope they punish him for this. Seriously, just, it's awful. It is. Let's see. I would like to see him go away for life. I mean, just the fact that he's conducting all this stuff from jail. True, but that's not going to happen. I That just, yeah, I know. it's not going to happen. What I can see happening is him going to jail repeatedly if he doesn't learn how to cover his ass just a little bit better. Yeah. And I'm looking at this, and this is all just such... You know, I'm, I am far from a career criminal, <laughs> but I mean, I'm looking at this and saying, come on, buddy. Yeah. Come on. You didn't really think that this was going to work. You right. didn't think this through. It's you just like, flat out didn't. 
All this stuff is monitored. I mean, he's doing it from prison. Right. It's going to be monitored, even if you talk about it on the phone, even if you talk about it in code. Somebody's going to figure it out. He has to get his name off of it. You know, he has to kind of distance himself from it and say, hey, you know what? This isn't me doing this. It's the ministry that I am not tied to at the moment because I'm tied up in here. But the thing is that he's still listed as head of both of those things. And therein lies the problem. Yeah. He I needs, mean, yeah. Do, does he not have a wife or someone else whose name he can put all of this into? I don't know. He probably doesn't have anyone that he feels like he can trust. Right. So he's a crook. Right. Because he's keeping it all in his own name. And that's it's going to cause more problems for him. I'm, I'm oh, interested yeah. to see how this develops. And whether or not he faces more charges because of this. Yeah. Because if it was serious enough to put him away, then it's serious enough to continue doling out punishment when he refuses to change his ways. Because isn't that at least part of the point of putting somebody in jail is that they contemplate the wrong in what they've done? If they're continuing to do wrong from behind bars, then that's where they need to stay. And that's where your notion of he should be behind bars forever comes from. You know, I'm not going to say that I completely disagree. I just don't think that it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. My last story is in fuck the patriarchy, really fuck the patriarchy news. The Washington Post has written an article about a maternity ranch to be opened in Texas where abortion has been made all but illegal. This ranch will house new mothers who may have chosen abortion if they had had the choice. Welcome back to 1940 fucking five. Yes, seriously. Jesus, I read this before we sat down and I was just like, I feel like I'm stuck in a time warp here. Yeah. Because this is the type of thing that our great grandparents would talk about. Right. And no, this is happening now. This is happening in 2021. Mm -hmm. I am at a complete loss. I know. As to how something like this could even be, you know, not not even a thing, just a thing that someone suggests and other people take seriously. Yeah. I can't imagine how this could be a thing now. But, well, when you do things like Texas has done with women's rights, this is the type of thing that crops up out of that. Yeah. Because capitalizing on people's pain is what Christianity is all about. Oh, can I have an amen? Mm. Here's a quote from the article talking about the many features the organizer, a woman named Aubrey Schlackman, first envisioned when she got the idea. A maternity ranch, she thought, and she could almost see it through her windshield. It would be a place for struggling pregnant women who decide to have their babies instead of having abortions. A Christian haven where women could live stress-free during their newborn's first year of life. It would have individual cottages for mothers, host homes for couples who would model healthy marriages, a communal barn for meals, Bible stuff. A barn for meals. Are they going to eat out of mangers? I don't know. And Bible study, of course. Of course. The whole plan was clear, and when she told her husband later that night, he said, yes, this is what we're supposed to do. Because of course he did. And just a couple of observations here. She could almost see it through her windshield. She's driving. I'm thinking, well, were you like driving right toward it at breakneck speed? Because that would be ideal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, unfortunately. And there was something else in here. I got to find it again. 
Oh, yeah. There's a word here that I have that I take issue with in terms of the way that this whole thing is being described. And that is the word decide. Women who decide to have their babies instead of having abortions. No, fuck you. The state has made that decision for them. None of them are just, well, I won't say none, but I'm guessing a vast majority of them aren't deciding to move to this place and have dinner in a barn. Yeah, right. Most of them just wanted to do what was best for them, their life situation, their family situation, their bodies. Mm -hmm. And instead, they're going to go here. Yeah. And eat in a barn. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, at first, it all sounds lovely, or at least well-intentioned. I see what she's doing. She thinks abortions should stop, and isn't this a good way to do it? No. It really isn't. No. It isn't. And, and now going to stop. We're going to discuss historically what these places have done. I mean... Magdalen homes have existed for years. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's any in America, but Ireland is the one with the most complete story. So I'll just talk about this. The concept has been tried before in Ireland. Magdalen laundries were such a place, run mostly by the Catholic Church, although Protestants also had them. They were institutions to house fallen women or prostitutes, and they required the inmates to work the laundry. Of course, like anything run by a religious order, abuses quickly followed. The Magdalen laundries kept operating for more than 200 years in Ireland. I think the last one closed in 63. Wow. So this is not long ago. No. I mean, and it went on for a long, long time. It went on for time. a long time. These institutions didn't help decrease the prostitute population because the institutions didn't actually address the poverty and lack of employment that fueled the activity. I mean, women had no other options, so they decided they had to prostitute themselves if they wanted to live. Mm -hmm. As unwed mothers later started to populate the institutions, they were forced to give up their babies. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but it pisses me off. Yeah. I mean, and also, you know, people who are just unusual or teenagers... Mm-hmm. who were misbehaving, right. they got sent the, to these places as well. Yeah. And they kept them there because they had to have workers. Yeah. I mean, that's what it boiled down to. It, it was the cheap labor and the profiling of specific types of women. Yeah. Yeah. That's the real sinister part of it. Yeah. And, you know, again, it went on forever. Yes. And largely unchecked because it was a religious organization. Yeah. You see, yeah. these things don't just happen here, folks. No, they've, they've been happening happened. throughout history in all yeah. kinds of places. Oh, yeah. And and the Magdalene homes were not just in Ireland. They were in a lot of places in Europe. I've heard of them. Not recently, but yeah. as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I know that I've heard about this before. Yeah. And that's not even the entire list no. of people that they would target right. for this type of a situation. Yeah. And most of them... Almost all of them were women. Yeah, I think that was pretty much the point. Yeah. In 1993, a land developer bought some of the land that was previously used by one of these institutions, and they discovered a mass unmarked grave containing the corpses of 155 women. It eventually caused a scandal with former asylum inmates 
coming forward and giving accounts of their treatment at these places. Yeah, we're hearing more and more of these stories yes. lately. Yeah, but you know, these things always end up in tears. Of course. Yeah. Of course they do. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the exploitation yeah. aspect of this. Yeah. It's like these women have nowhere to go. They're going to have to take our Christian charity. They don't have any choice. This is a way to bring them into the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. This, they're, they're trapped in right. the situation that they're in. So let's ensnare them further in this religion of freedom. Right. I mean, it's, there's way more to the story from the Washington Post, and I suggest that you read it because it's a good article, but it's long. Yeah. And it has a lot of different facets to it. But there's much more to the story. Does this organizer have ideas of what to do if people are not Christian or are LGBT or agree with LGBT rights? What happens when that year ends? Do you just kick them out with no support? And what about... This woman's church, which has its own problems with abuse that are listed in that article. Right. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if they just kicked them out after a year. No. Because they only care about the baby until the baby is born. Right. And then once that happens, they distance themselves. Yeah. And they have no game plan for what they're going to do for this child now. That's not part of the equation. When they do things like this, you think that they're thinking about what this woman's future is going to be? Mm. No, of course not. They're thinking that they have this purpose, this agenda, and I don't know what it is. Maybe after a year, they wear out their usefulness or something. I have I... no idea why they would put that kind of a time frame on it. To me, it speaks volumes about that entire mindset and what passes for compassion in the minds of some of these people. I'm sure Ms. Schlackman thinks she's doing a good thing, but we've seen it before and it always, always ends in mass graves or other news reports of abuse. Good intentions are nice to have, but, you know, the road to hell is like paved with them. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if hell was a real place, but yes. speaking completely philosophically here, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with that, we just want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. Starting at five bucks a month, you can help us help more people get and stay unbound. And if you don't have the money to spend on us right now, that's perfectly okay. We get that. Just help us out with your likes, your shares, your five-star ratings, and all of the things that help podcasts grow. And you will be helping more people take those first few crucial steps toward getting and staying unbound. I'm finding it very interesting going through all of our downloads over the last few weeks and seeing the types of things that people are starting to gravitate toward and some of the topics that are kind of trending. Right. And honestly, it was part of the reason why I wanted to do the show that we're doing this week is because I'm starting to see people downloading some of the older episodes that I'm going to kind of give passing reference to tonight during the course of the conversation. And that's what we're going for is a little bit more of a conversation this time around so that, you know, we can equip you a little bit better for the next couple of months, because for a lot of us, the next couple of months are going to be difficult and they're going to involve being around people that have a tendency to want to proselytize and do other things. So like I said last week, we're not going to be really talking about this in terms of 
the holidays. But it's a timely message for around the holidays because this is what a lot of us are going to be faced with. And people who have been out for a lot less time than Shell and I have been out. So if you're thinking about supporting the show, this is a good time to start taking action on that because more people are discovering us and they're finding things that resonate with them. And we want to be able to continue bringing this messaging and bringing it in a way that resonates with more people, that we can find more of these points of identity and help people not only get, but stay. That's the real tricky bit. And we're going to talk about Mm. that later too, but stay unbound. That's the most important thing because a lot of us have had episodes where we've walked away from it and then gone back. So you could actually be helping someone make the decision not to go back by doing something small, like tossing us five bucks or by just talking about us on social media and linking to your favorite episode, something that's relevant to a conversation. I just got to do that earlier tonight. I was in a conversation about Christian counseling. Right. And I actually sent a link to that episode and a couple of people did download it and had a couple of things to say about it. So it's that easy. Right. You know, you don't even have to do the work here. Just send them the episode and strike up a conversation. You know, it's not so much about promoting us. It's about promoting what we stand for. You know, I don't ever expect to get rich off of this. I don't ever expect to be famous. But if I can help one or two people along the way get their lives back, then I have done my job as far as I'm concerned. If I can pick up one or two of those starfish and throw them back into the surf, I'm happy. So help us do that in any way that you can, whether it's with your dollars or with all the other things that I just mentioned. It is significant. Everything that you do that leads to someone making that crucial decision to get this religion out of their lives for good. Anything that you can do toward that end is significant. So it doesn't matter whether it's money or something else. Just help us get the word out there and put this resource in front of people that need to experience it. And just so that everyone is aware, we are taking next week off for a much-deserved break for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And we will be back the week after with our review of the movie Dogma. And I actually just gave that a watch through again today and was amazed because it's been been a while since I saw it. I was amazed at some of the stuff that I had forgotten about. There's some real gold in this movie (laughs) that we're going to get to talk about in depth. And I'm really looking forward to bringing that analysis and conversation about it because given the source, you wouldn't think that there would be the level of depth with some of the stuff that's in this movie, it's presented from a comedic standpoint and you're told right from the very beginning to treat it like comedy. But you know, there's underlying messaging in that movie that I think is actually very good in terms of how people think about their religion. And we'll have way, way more to say about that in two weeks. Enjoy Thanksgiving with your families We'll be back with that. And we've got some other really good stuff planned for around the holidays that I will announce when we come back on, I believe it's December 5th, right after our two-year anniversary. And with that, let's just dive right in to our main topic for tonight. So let's talk about this whole business of looking back and even going back to a religion that you know was never good for you, will never be good for you, and will never do anything to help you grow as a person. 
The holidays are coming and many of us are going to be around people, places, and things that are going to stir up memories. I know I still have some very good memories of people and events that relate directly to my life as an evangelical. You can go to episode 50 for a little bit more on that. That's actually one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. The sad part is that it's those things that have the potential to pull you back with the most force. When we start thinking about the good stuff, we put all the negatives on the back burner and zero in on those things that give us the feels, that make us wax nostalgic and feel good about the time that we were in that religion. So the good stuff can actually be some of the most toxic stuff, which is kind of sad. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. So that's kind of where we're going with the conversation tonight is talking about how to allow those things to have their place and not turn into the toxic mess that they could be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because there's nothing wrong with having good memories. And I feel like part of my therapy with this has been reminding myself that there were good parts. You know, it wasn't all a nightmare. It was just really, really, really bad for me. And I figured that out. And it may have taken a while to do something about it. But when I did, it was pretty final, at least when I was at the point where I was making the conscious decision that this was it. You know, not when I rage quit the first time. (laughs) The second time when it was more subtle and more of a decision over time. Yeah. That was, for me, it was a different kind of situation. It was a different mindset that I was in. Now, I am at the point where I find most things evangelical to be anything from mildly irritating to rage-inducing. But even I can get a little goosebumpy when certain memories are called to mind. And I had a moment like this a couple of weeks ago where one of my friends from back in the day posted something about waking up to the song Rise and Shine Rise and shine and give God the glory. You know, there are going to be people out there who know what this song is. And, of course, this person posted it in the context of Vida Nueva, VN, which I've talked about a bunch of times and talk about a lot in episode 50. But when I saw that, yeah, I did get a little goosebumpy because I went right back to waking up on Sunday morning to all of these guys walking up and down the aisles. We were all in this big communal space for sleeping there was just a bunch of cots in a big room and on sunday morning they came in and everyone who had a musical instrument just strolled up and down the aisles (laughs) singing this song to wake us up the previous morning we woke up to bells we had people on these weekends that were called auxiliaries and they would walk up and down the hallways with bells when it was time to wake up and that was your alarm Yeah, But on Sunday mornings, they wanted things to be more celebratory. So they would walk up and down the aisles between the beds and sing this song. So when she posted that, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I went right back to the look of the place, the smell of the place, (laughs) the way that the cots felt. I was 16. Yeah. And all of it just came flooding right back in. And if I was in a slightly different place, if I was kind of one step out and one toe still in it could have been the thing that made me just decide fuck it i'll just go back to church this week but you know i've been out for a long time i understand just how bad this religion is for me yeah and i knew better than to think that that was a sign of anything Mm. but 
in the context of this conversation, it can be kind of dangerous, especially when you go home for the holidays and now you've got everyone around you reminiscing about things like youth group and the things that you did when you were a teenager and you were still part of this. And some of it is just harmless, not harmless. Some of it is, is innocent conversation and some of it has an agenda. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is which. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of have to be on our guard. But for me, I'm far enough out that it wasn't anything that was going to tug me back. But it did definitely raise some goosebumps because I hadn't thought about it in quite a while. And now all of it, like all of it, everything about that weekend came rushing back. And those were some meaningful times for me as a young evangelical. Those were meaningful times. So they still have a sense of meaning inside my head, but not to the point where they're going to pull me back. No. Not by a long shot. Oh, yeah. See, I, I never really feel compelled to revisit any of that stuff. When it uh, shows up in front of me and I'm forced to think about it, yeah. And then there's the aspect of I have to think about a lot of it to put this show together, mm-hmm. but it's on an entirely different level. So I never feel this compulsion to revisit that time of my life. I don't go looking at mementos or seek out people to reminisce with or anything like that. But I do still sometimes feel a degree of loss and even sadness when I think about certain things and how much fun they were and how meaningful they were and what it meant to me back then. It can elicit those kinds of emotions too. Those misty watercolor memories can do a lot of damage. And for some... Mm. They have the power to reel people back into a religion that only cares about collecting them, not growing them, nurturing them, or leading them to any place of maturity or autonomy as an individual. For me right now, where I am in my life, it's more anger and frustration and not even in a how could you have done that sort of way, because I'm so over that. The whole how could you's with the people that were in my life, because most of them didn't mean me any harm. There were only a few that I think did. Yeah. But for the most part, no, not at all. It's more of a, God damn it, why couldn't this have just been real sort of way? Because there was a part of me that, it, there is now a part of me that kind of wishes that there was something to it, because it wasn't all bad. There was some very substantive stuff that came along with this. Had it been real at all, it would have been so neat to explore and so amazing to nurture and grow and learn more about. But the simple fact of the matter is it's nothing but lies and fairy tales. Yeah. And, you know, it's frustrating. That's a good word for it. It's frustrating. Yeah. Because I really, really, really wanted it to be real. When I was in the thick of it, I wanted it to be real. Even though there was that part of me that never really quite believed in it, I wanted it to be real. Because when done right, Christianity isn't half bad. It's the other half that you have to worry about. See, that's the thing. So on the heels of that, one of the things that I decide, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here brainstorming how I'm going to put this particular topic together and how to present it in a way that makes sense. And I started thinking about the way that we have, as human beings, this tendency to revisit bad habits, to put things down for a time and then pick them up again. Even knowing how harmful it is, we have a real propensity for this. 
And we do it with a lot of things. We return to relationships that we know are bad for us. We quit smoking and then go back to it. I haven't yet, knock on wood. We go on diets. We eat right. We lose the weight and then sink back into old eating habits. And then we gravitate toward food for comfort, especially foods that have comforting memories tied to them. You know, I know a little bit about this over the last year or so. Mm -hmm. I'm not 400 pounds again, but I'm not happy with my body right now. Right. You know, there is that. The real question here is why? Why do we go back to things that we know are harmful to us? If we know it can do harm, why do we even think about going back? Well, according to psychology today, there are a number of reasons, all of which boil down to a sense of completion. We lose the weight, so the diet is complete. We haven't smoked in months, so quitting is complete. We've been sober for a year, so beating alcoholism is complete. We don't really think that much about the abuse of X anymore, so that is complete. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. It's at that point that we let our guard down, isn't it? You deserve that slice of pizza. It's been forever since you had a cigarette. One's not going to matter that much. You can handle one. Um, it's Christmas. A little bit of spiked eggnog won't hurt. You know, we, we make excuses and we make deals with ourselves. Yeah. It's like, okay... We're going to step one toe back into the pool, but we know that this is not something that we want to keep doing. So we're just going to go over here and, you know, sample this a little bit and enjoy the memory of it a little bit. But the problem is that not in all instances, but in a vast majority of them, as soon as you light up that cigarette, you're buying a pack. Yeah. And as soon as you have that first slice of pizza, before you know it, you're having your fourth. And I know what this is like. I've never been an alcoholic, and I don't believe that it's a de facto truth that you can never go back and have another drink without relapsing into alcoholism. I don't think that that's necessarily true, but for a lot of people it is. And the same thing when you decide to give an abusive ex a second chance. And like I said in the beginning, this analogy fits better with evangelicalism than pretty much any other one out there, given the nature of the God involved in the process. You know, we are taught to believe that this miscreant of a deity is loving when he's anything but. But when we put ourselves back in front of some of the things that are associated with him, it's easy to fall back into this thought pattern of God being love. And we stop thinking as hard or as intently as we should about just how bad things were before. And it's just like going back to an abusive ex. You don't think hard enough about how bad things were. And then you go back and then you remember. And one of two things happens. Either you feel trapped and you stay or you leave again just a little bit smarter and I feel like what we're dealing with tonight is in that latter category where there are people who will go back to this thing called evangelicalism. But after having a couple of months or a couple of years of a head start with the whole independent critical thinking thing, mm -hmm. it probably won't last as long. You know, for some it will, for some they'll just sink right back into it because it's just easier to think this way or more to the point to let other people think for you. It's just yeah. easier. But once you get a taste of thinking for yourself 
it's a lot harder for this stuff to stick later on. It's easy to go back. It's easy to succumb to the emotions, but it's not as easy to stay, at least for a lot of people. It's not that easy to stay. Now, you see, I was pretty angry at God when I rage quit the yeah. first time, but I hadn't stopped believing in any of it. You see, that was the problem. I still believed in it. I just didn't know what the fuck to do with it. And after a little while, I just got bored with the process of trying to figure it out and went back to church. Yeah. That's what it boiled down to. Now, for many people, some of the statements that I made earlier can be true, you know, because I can tell you from experience. The day that I did jury duty back over the summer, I decided to have a cigarette with the guy out in the parking lot. It was a stressful situation, and I knew that it would take my stress levels from way up high to at least manageable levels. Right. And it was in the back of my mind, you're going to buy a pack before you go home. But here's the thing. I didn't. And I'm in a really, really, really small minority when it comes to that. But I had that one cigarette after I quit. It was a social gesture. It was a means of getting through jury duty. And it had been over three months at that point since I'd had one. And the end of the story is that I haven't had another one since. And that was July. But here's the thing. That's me. I've fallen into the food trap for sure. Just mentioned that a second ago. Some of it had directly to do with the fact that I quit smoking. I didn't understand that yeah. whole concept of I can't quit smoking because I'll gain weight until yeah. I quit smoking and gained weight. Mm -hmm. And now I completely and totally get that. It's a point of relatability that I never really actually wanted to have. <laughs> but here we are. Yeah. Some of it was pandemic stress too, but you know, at the end of the day, it's all excuses. I kind of fell back into some bad patterns because I got lazy. It's all about the excuses. Um, I let my guard down in more than one way with the cigarette and with the diet. I've let my guard down too much, especially with the food part. And I need to retrain my brain once again to think differently about food and not look at it as a source of comfort. Right. It has to be a source of sustenance, not a source of comfort. And there's nothing wrong with eating food that tastes good, but you have to be eating it for the right reasons like I'm hungry mm. and not because I'm depressed or because I want a cigarette. There are good reasons and bad reasons to indulge in certain things or to make the decisions that you make about food in general. But before we get too far off on that tangent, we also reach a point where we achieve certain goals and then we feel invincible. This is another reason why people slip back into bad habits. The things that did us harm or that we used to self-harm, we convince ourselves can't hurt us anymore, even though they can We tell ourselves that there's no way we'll ever go back to X, Y, or Z. We then adjust the rules in our head to define what going back will actually entail. And yes, smoking that cigarette was dangerous. Fortunately, it worked out. I still resist the urge like crazy because I know that the more times I give myself a break, the more likely it is that I'll be giving myself breaks a pack at a time, not a drag at a time. So when I think about what happened last July and then a couple of circumstances recently where, I mean, I was literally standing in line at Cumberland Farms and almost asked for a pack. I think about just how close I've come and I realize just what kind of a fine line that is and how many areas of life that that actually applies to. And then we try to convince ourselves that we've grown as individuals since we engaged in behavior X. 
Um, I hate to break it to you, but you aren't going to quote unquote grow that much in a matter of months. You might change your thinking or opinions on some things, but whether or not you let them keep harming you isn't a matter of growth. It's a matter of making the right decisions so you can grow. There's a difference. You don't grow because you quit smoking. You grow by understanding how good it feels to say no and remembering how those cigarettes affected you. Not having that social smoke when it's offered isn't a sign of growth. It's a sign of willpower, which you had already. What did you learn by exercising that willpower? That's where growth comes in. What did you learn about the behavior and what did you learn about yourself? Because the answers to those questions are the things that further the process of personal growth. That's another important point. Ditching bad habits, toxic behaviors, people and places is a process. It's never quote unquote over. It's an ongoing effort that requires certain decisions to be made literally every day, at least for a while. When it becomes more automatic is when things start getting easier. When the no just shows up when it needs to and the notion to engage in toxic behaviors or to be in toxic environments vanishes as quickly as it appears, you're in a good place. The fact that these things keep cropping up, however, is proof that it's a process and that you still have to be on guard. But what about when certain things are placed right in front of you? What happens when people start reminiscing about church and youth group days? What happens when you're home for the holidays and you're bombarded with religious imagery left and right and plaques, pictures, decorations, and more around your childhood home where you learned about Jesus in the first place? Hmm. What happens when your family starts to proselytize? This is where it becomes imperative to not be in a headspace of complacency. Your unbound journey is not complete simply because you haven't been to church in a year. This is why I talk about not just getting unbound, but staying unbound. That's the tricky bit. It's difficult to leave, and leaving is an accomplishment, but getting lured back in is easy, much more so than you think. And here's how to avoid it. For starters, I think that it's important that we always keep in the front of our minds the reason why we left. You left for a reason, maybe for a lot of reasons. It wasn't the aesthetics. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the overall atmosphere. People don't leave church for these reasons. They find new churches that align more with what resonates with them in those instances. The reasons you left fall more in step with things like less and less of what your pastor said made sense over time. Mm -hmm. That was a big one for me. That was a major one for me. Things just stopped making sense. You didn't experience anything that you were told that you should. You weren't happier in your job or in your relationships because Jesus was involved in the process now. Your tithes never returned to you two, three, and sevenfold. You prayed repeatedly for healings that never happened. You prayed repeatedly for your marriage and it never got any better. You prayed repeatedly about everything and nothing in your life ever improved. People made you feel like shit for not manifesting things like healing, financial stability, or an abundant life when you knew they weren't doing any better than you were at growing their faith. Your thoughts about this whole Christianity thing just started to change. That's another big reason. You know, I think it kind of ties with the first one. Things stop making sense. And then you start wondering, well, if 
none of this makes sense, then how could it be real? Wouldn't God reveal something to me? Wouldn't he explain it? Wouldn't he make it just a little bit clearer if it was true? And that leads to the next point where you just don't feel like God is involved in any of this. It's like, where is he? I remember praying when I was in the thick of this, where are you? I asked him many, many times, where are you in all of this? I've done everything you've asked me to do, and I've given you literally my entire life, and you're just giving me the shaft. What is the deal here? Where are you? Why are you doing nothing? And of course, I never got any answers because at the end of the day, I wasn't really asking anyone or anything. It was just bouncing off the walls and disappearing. But it's a big reason. It's a major and valid reason why some of us leave. And another reason why you might have left is that when you brought any of this up to your pastor or church friends, their best response was always that you need to read the Bible and pray more with absolutely nothing more practical to build upon. And lastly, maybe I'm not going to say lastly, but lastly on this list that I brainstormed, you got tired of spinning your wheels on an endeavor you just knew wasn't doing you any good. I don't feel any better. I don't feel any different. I feel nothing except maybe that this bullshit is absurd. (laughs) Chorus line. Let's make sure we say it. So you got these things straight enough in your head to make the conscious decision to leave. You probably had some help in the form of less religious or even atheist friends and acquaintances. You probably discovered some anti-theist content and what those people were saying just made more sense than what your pastor had to say on virtually every subject. That was me and the atheist experience. Yeah. It's like everything they were saying made way more sense than anything I ever heard from a pulpit. Yeah. And whatever your opinion is on that organization at this point, I know that it's a it's a hot button issue for some. Yeah. But for me, it was one of the things that kind of pushed me the right direction out of a theistic mindset. It was one of the first things that gave me the shove that I needed. So, you know, I have my own opinions about them, but at the same time, they've helped me a lot. All of these things together may have culminated in taking that initial step toward getting unbound. Well, good for you. The problem is that sometimes we break the chains, but still carry the shackles. It takes effort to pick the locks and really seriously, completely break free. But I'm going to offer you some valuable lock-picking strategies that will hopefully help you drop the rest of the ecclesiastical weight that you still bear from this thing. And I think that comes with understanding a few key concepts. Whether you realize it or not, or want to admit it or not, you suffered emotional abuse in this religion. You were constantly being scrutinized and judged. There were threats made to your salvation. Your standing in your church or any part of it where you were a leader or just involved was questioned. Don't make us kick you out of our home group. You know what? Mm. I heard that more than once. Not in that outright threatening way. But, you know, there were people that didn't like my ideas. They didn't like the way that I presented them. They didn't like the way that it confronted them and forced them to think about certain things. Yeah. So you get that a lot. And what about when they start sending you passive-aggressive cards and notes because you skipped church or Sunday school? Remember just like that that tract that you talked about last week? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've been the recipient of some of that stuff, too. Also keep in mind that they lied to you. And I mean about pretty much everything. Heaven and hell, 
how you have to behave to keep your salvation, you're probably backslidden and need to rededicate, yada, 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 yada. Mm. They wanted you to live their way, but you had and have your own plans. Those are some of the things that I kind of want you to bookmark, those kinds of thoughts and concepts as we keep talking here, because then there are the things that pull you back. There are lots of very real and very valid fears and misconceptions that keep you looking over your shoulder. And yes, there are perfectly valid misconceptions. It's not an oxymoron. It refers to things that we cling to when those misconceptions are crammed into our brains literally from birth forward. Your fears are valid even if the thing you fear has no real power over you. And here are a few of the things that keep us from successfully picking those locks. We get hung up on the concept of hell. We get hung up on the concept of sin. We start missing the familiarity and the routine of church. And that's a big one. Because if we're talking about habits, well, going to church is a big one. You miss the social aspect of things. But let me tell you, there are lots of social outlets that are legit and not just a means of being able to keep tabs on you or keep the way that you live aligned with the way the group wants you to live, okay? There are better social situations than church by far. Then there's the entertainment aspect of this. I love how at one point my mother, I guess maybe even accidentally admitted this when Mm -hmm. I told her that we had gone back to the Episcopal church and she said I could never go back to a liturgical church again. Why? I don't find it entertaining. So that's why we go to church to be entertained. You know, it was appalling at the time because I was still a theist. But now it's like, yeah, why else do you go to church? Mm. What other purpose does it serve aside from raising certain emotions? Why else would you go? So entertainment is a big thing, but I'm here to tell you, live music and venues where you can do group sings and things like karaoke will stimulate the same pleasure centers in your brain as taking part in a worship service. Try it and you'll see. And some of us think that we'll be happier if we just end the tug of war and give in to this thing called Christianity. But here's the thing. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy just giving into it. We question our reasons for leaving or wanting to leave. We tell ourselves that we're being selfish when in reality, it's that rational part of our brain trying to get us to see reason. And let's not forget that non-belief is absolutely harder than believing. I don't care what Steve Taylor has to say about this one. Yeah. Okay. It is absolutely not harder to believe than not to. Unbelief is way, way more difficult because of the minority opinion that it represents. There are still a lot of people out there who might not be quote-unquote devout about their religion, but will go to their grave believing in God. Yeah. Okay? It is way, way easier to simply believe something than to come up with reasons not to. Skepticism takes effort. Blind faith doesn't. It's just that simple. One is a discipline, and the other is a decision. It's much easier to make a decision than to exercise discipline about anything. Then we start buying into this whole concept again that what they're telling us has anything to do with love. Let me make this abundantly clear for the umpteenth time, it doesn't. This is a religion that packages hate as love and love as hate and makes it impossible for us to see the difference 
in our own minds. Because of the way that those concepts are presented, they just kind of merge inside our heads. And it makes it difficult to really reconcile what each of these things entails anymore. And then, of course, there's the overwhelming sense of loss. I know what this one feels like. Yeah. And the whole what do I do now aspect of it, mm-hmm. especially the first time when I rage quit. My first thought was, you know, I don't think I believe in any of this anymore. And it's yeah. terrifying because I don't know what I'm going to do without it. Yeah. I remember when I first basically admitted that I was an atheist. Because, I mean, we were kind of functioning as an atheist. Yeah, you know, I was just kind of, you know, I didn't believe in pretty much any religion because we'd just come out of Wicca. Yeah, and Wicca just sort of went away. Yeah, it did. When we lost the people that we were practicing with. Yeah. It just sort of went away. I had no motivation yeah. to set up that altar anymore. And no. it just sort of stopped. Yeah, and it's just like, I can't believe in this anymore. This is all myths and stories and fairy tales. But when I realized that, I also realized that the people, they always said, oh, you'll see them again in heaven. I'm not going to. No. I had to mourn my parents over again. Oh, yeah. And that was really just difficult. It's still kind of hard for me to kind of deal with, but I've come to a place of just sort of like accepting it. Yeah. But here's the thing. For me anyway, thinking about someone's non-existence Mm -hmm. is far less stressful than worrying about whether or not they're roasting in hell. Yeah, that is a thing. When your father died, we were still in that place in our heads. And it's one of those things that no one wants to talk about. And no minister will talk about no. In anybody's funeral service. Nope. You know, they they always pull out the loopholes or they just leave it the fuck alone. One of the two. That's That's the way that they deal with it. But as someone who used to believe that people went to hell, I take more comfort in knowing that this person flat out doesn't exist anymore. Right. They don't know that they ever existed because they just don't exist They don't understand the pain that they were going through. They don't have any recollection of any of this. They aren't in a place where they can remember any of it. And they're certainly not in a place where they're being tortured forever for finite crimes. They're just not. And as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot of peace. Yeah, definitely. Understanding that and, and reconciling within myself that if I'm still here when you die, that's it. But I'm not going to speed along my own death so that I can be with you again. Right. You know, it's not one of those things where I'm going to sink into this depression that makes me make rash decisions about whether or not I want to be with you again, you know, that sort of thing. And of course there's all kinds of debates over whether or not I would, if I took that kind of action, it's easier, especially if someone has been sick, like your dad, It's easier to think about their non-existence than what their existence looks like now, especially if you're a Christian and you're dealing with someone dying of cancer and knowing that they were unsaved. So they had a tormentous end of their life and now the torment just continues. Yeah. It's awful to think about that. It is. So just one last little point here in, in my little brainstorm on this part of things is that Some of us invest so much of ourselves in our religion that we become afraid of leaving too much of ourselves behind 
with it when we leave it. But here's the thing that we have to ask ourselves. Was that me or just the version of me that people there liked and accepted? I never felt like me. Oh, yeah. In those settings, I never felt like me. I always felt like I was putting on a show and I didn't like it. And how much time, and I, I ask myself this all the time, how much time did you spend just being you versus striving to be the person that everyone around you expected you to be? That, I think, was me in that setting. And, you know, that's kind of peer pressure 101. You don't have to be an evangelical to go through that. Right. But I think it's exponentially worse when you tie that spiritual aspect to it. So that brings us to the concept of dealing with with the memories when we're in familiar surroundings, okay? So we had our reasons for leaving. We had all the bullet points lined up and we were able to intellectualize why this was a good idea. But now we're gonna go home and we're gonna visit with mom and all of the siblings are gonna be together. And maybe your grandparents or your favorite relatives are going to be around people that you liked but who you also experienced this thing called evangelical Christianity with. And now you're kind of on the outside looking in at this. And you are in this house and you're seeing things and you're hearing things and all kinds of memories are starting to crop up. So if you are planning to go home for the holidays this year, be prepared to be deluged with these kinds of things, especially if this thing called evangelicalism has been part of your life since your early childhood, because it will happen. You will see things. You will hear things. It will jog memories that will catch you completely off guard. Yeah. So remembering those earlier bullet points and why you left is vital to being able to weather that because that stuff is really, really difficult for a lot of people. Not so much for me because, you know, with all due respect, my home life growing up was not exactly the nurturing environment that a lot of people see. So, you know, but there were still things and now that house is gone too. So mm -hmm. I don't even have that to go home to and have to put my guard up against. Yeah. But there were things in that house that reminded me of that time. You know, I can remember, I would look at the... Uh, the living room in my mother's old house and remember watching her do her trustiest team meetings, that yeah. sort of thing. Those kinds of memories are what kind of flood in with me. And I do gravitate toward the good stuff. And that's maybe one of the more fortunate parts of them selling that house is that I don't go back and get confronted with that stuff, yeah. but the memories are still there. I mean, I can still see it clear as day. So, that brings us to the part where we just resolve to not take the bait when those things are presented to us because sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's accidental, but all of it has the power to lure us back. All the things that we just talked about will just manifest with no help from anyone because like I said, it can take you by surprise. You see something, you hear something, you haven't thought about it in forever, and then boom, there it is right in front of you. Once you're at that dinner table and they have you as a captive audience, that's when things start getting slid into the conversation, especially if you have relatives who have this agenda of pulling you back into the fold. Right. The idea is to make you uncomfortable and treat you like a captive audience. 
when that happens, and you know, I don't want to insult anybody's parents or family by making that kind of a de facto statement and just leaving it there. So I will say that in a lot of instances, it's not 100% intentioned, or if it is, it's done with what these people believe to be good intention. So we've got to try and remember that. But remember these two things when you start seeing this kind of stuff happening. First, you have no reason to feel uncomfortable. You're right. In the way that you're thinking about their religion, you are right. And let's also make sure that we understand that you are not a captive audience. You entered through that front door, you can leave through it too. But a huge caveat there, because this is something that I have actually done and did it in such a bad way that I felt compelled to apologize for it later. It was years later, but I still felt compelled to apologize for it. So if you decide that it's time to take that route, please make sure that you're using it as a last resort and not just to make some kind of statement, okay? Fleeing at the first sign of trouble will be looked at as a victory in their eyes for two reasons. Because number one, ooh, he's convicted, Okay, And number two, well, didn't Jesus say that people would hate us? We're doing something right here. So, yeah. But you know what? Do you want that? Do you want that person to be your kid? You know, that's that's the other half of that. So be very, very careful about how drastic your reactions are to these things. If you've been out for a while and you've got a little bit of sure footedness with your unbelief, then it's perfectly okay to not directly address the things that they're saying, especially if they're doing this thing where they're having this conversation around you Mm -hmm. and not with you so that you'll hear certain things and it will evoke memories or it will arouse curiosity about what's going on at church right now, that sort of thing. You don't have to engage about that at all. And it's better if you don't. Early, early, early on, and I know, I think it was, it had to be because of when we started. I'm thinking this has to be probably episode three or four at this point. Right. We did a little short episode called uh, Surviving the Holidays with or Without Your Family. Yeah. It's a good time to give that another listen. If you've listened to it before, and if this is your first episode, then I think that that episode is a good primer to what we're talking about now. You should definitely go back and listen. There's also an episode in there about uh, developing your own counter-apologetic. And I think that both of those are timely for anyone who is going to be around theistic family around the holidays. I think these are good things to armor yourself with as we head into the holidays. Just make sure that you understand a few things here. Number one, patience is a good thing. You need to be the grown-up at the table, okay? Don't sink to their level. If they're using passive-aggressive tactics or if they're they're doing things that are equally childish just to elicit a response from you, be the grown-up. But take no shit. Be prepared to engage. If they try to deal with you directly on this issue, be prepared to engage. But, you know, be the bigger person. Be the one who keeps their cool. Be very matter-of-fact. Don't let them get a rise out of you because, again, it's going to be considered a victory if they do. And let's make sure that we understand just a little bit better here. You have the right to remain silent. You also have the right to shut down uncomfortable conversations. You can flat out say, we're not going to talk about this. I know what you believe. I know what I have observed about this. 
I am not interested in coming back. So can somebody kindly pass the mashed potatoes now? You know, bring the conversation right back around to where it belongs. And an easy way to kind of diplomatically deal with this is to not ask, but insist that the current subject be discussed in private later with whoever is bringing it up. It doesn't have to involve everybody at the table. And then the other half of that is that you have to be open to actually having the conversation. You can't just sweep it under the rug, make sure the conversation happens, because that is what's going to put paid to that whole situation, is them getting a chance to speak, you listening, and then dropping it. That's what's going to have the most desired effect there. And also be the one with integrity in the situation. Be the one who is open, honest, not trying to hide anything, not trying to gain the upper hand or anything like that. This isn't about winning an argument. It's about presenting ideas in a way that communicates finality in the way that you think about them. And I do believe that handling the situation in those ways is going to get you a lot further than taking the bait ever will. Next, I think that it's important to give yourself kudos when you don't give in. There is a lot to be said for standing your ground. But, you know, again, be the better person. Respect other people's beliefs. Don't give unsolicited opinions. You know, just don't, if if you hear something you don't like at the table, try and remember that there are hills to die on and decide whether or not this is one of them. Because a lot of times it's better to just exercise your right to remain silent. Okay. (laughs) Don't be outwardly smug or superior. We fall into this trap just as badly as they do. Um, There are some very egotistical atheists out there, just like there are some very egotistical evangelicals, and both sides of this argument believe strongly that we're right. So just try and keep that in mind. You're not going to come across as more right by being smug. Be the genuine person in the conversation, and also throughout the visit when you're in somebody else's house, be the genuine person. Don't try and put on airs for people. Don't Just play along with things like, are you coming with us to church? You can respectfully say no to that. Yeah. Okay. Don't just follow along because it will make everybody happy. Guess what? You need to be happy too. Yeah. Do what you can while you're in that house. If you're, if you've now obtained black sheep status, Mm. okay, do what you can to maintain a stable social atmosphere. Just be you. Be the you that they remember without all the Jesus-y shit. Okay, just be the you that these people know. Don't try to present yourself as being something else because you've had this startling revelation about your religion and they have not. And on your way home after one of these gatherings, while the miles or clouds roll by, depending on how far away they are, take the time to inventory everything that you heard and experienced while you were there. Let your brain process all of it from whatever perspective it wants to. Be honest with yourself about how certain things made you feel because it's okay to get a little goosebumpy about some of this stuff once in a while. If you're lucky, you'll feel very secure in how you handled things. You won't have lingering doubts about how you managed any of it or about some of those memories that came flooding back and how you managed those. But what if you do? Well, Some people will give in. Some people will just throw in the towel and say, you know what? It's time for me to just get back to being me. And this is me. This is who I am. 
and I need to start going back to church and I need to get things back on track. It can and it does happen. You know, I don't judge anybody for it because this is human nature 101. We're hardwired for this kind of behavior. But, you know, like most bad habits, religion has this way of revisiting itself on us. And it has a way of pulling us back and convincing our brains that we can't live without it. But like most other bad habits, religion has had most of our lives to wrap its tendrils around our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. In fact, nothing out there really does it better than religion, I don't think. Maybe maybe a toxic relationship. Maybe that can give it a run for its money. But even a toxic relationship doesn't have the duration. It doesn't take the brain space that religion does in most cases. This is why I personally differentiate between getting and staying unbound. Leaving usually has a last straw kind of vibe to it. Going back has everything to do with the things that we've talked about tonight. Some of the old influences can show back up in our lives at moments and times when we are off guard. We find mementos and other objects while we're decluttering. We see church signs or other images that evoke memories. Their advertising shows up in social media, artfully inserted into atheist content. And some idiot can post a live stream of a church service to a very unrelated Facebook group. But you hear that one snippet of a song that you used to sing in church. And now all of a sudden, it's hard to scroll past. And for some, these things are just flat out too much to handle. They start missing the things about their religious life too much, and they convince themselves that they were happier when they were going to church. Well, maybe for the the time that you were in church and your emotions were being whipped up into a froth, yeah, but what about the rest of the week? What about when you start feeling inadequate because that's what your religion teaches you to feel about yourself? What about that? Well, you know, we kind of put those things on the back burner and we focus on the things that make us feel good. And when it comes down to making the decision to go back to this, that's all we can think about anymore is all the things that were good and wanting to feel those good things again, just like in an abusive relationship, because even in an abusive relationship, there are good parts. So we focus on that. And we say, well, we'll go, we'll go back because we know that we'll get this. Even if we have to deal with that person's shit, we're still going to get this. Yeah. And we focus on the good stuff, which is dangerous. And it works the same way with church as it does with going back to an abusive ex. So what happens if you're one of the ones that decides, I'm going to go to church with my family this weekend And this weekend turns into next weekend, and next weekend turns into next month, and so on and so on. Well, what happens? Eventually, your brain's probably just not going to stand for it anymore, and it's going to start demanding to have its say again. And you're going to start seeing, and just like in an abusive relationship, as soon as that abusive partner starts pulling their shit again, all of a sudden, it becomes a priority to focus on that. Well, when you hear enough bullshit come from that pulpit, all of a sudden, it's going to be your brain's turn to start talking to you on a rational level again. So here are a few things that you need to remember. If at any point you find yourself back in the thick of this 
after you've gotten out. Maybe you're there right now. And if you are, listen real carefully for the next 30 seconds to a minute, okay? Remember, please, that you aren't obligated to stay when you start seeing the red flags again. And you should leave when you start seeing those red flags. And don't make excuses for them. And don't say, well, this part over here is okay, so I can deal with this. No, because more of those red flags are going to start to surface. And it will make you even angrier about going back. The more you're confronted with the reasons why you left after you went back, um, the more you're going to do the whole self-loathing thing. I was so stupid. Why did I do this? I knew that this and this and this was going to happen again, and it did. Before it gets to that third this, you should be out. You really should. And if it's any consolation, it's easier to stay out after you get a second dose of all that craziness. Because this time, you're going into this with a lot more knowledge. Your rational mind has had the floor for a while. When you figure out that nothing has really changed about your religion or how you're going to feel about it long term, getting out again and staying out becomes easier. It does. And I just want to end off with you know the classic argument here about bad habits where most psychologists, even today, will tell you that the best way that you can break a bad habit is to replace those behaviors with more productive ones. So there are definitely things that you can use to replace the church experience. And we've gone over some of them already tonight, and we've gone over a lot of them over the course of this show. But if this is your first episode, here's just a short list. Again, social outlets. Replace church groups with civic groups, meetups, Things where you're out there in the world with normal people, with a diversity of backgrounds, opinions, and other things. You need to get out among people and start recognizing just how much bigger the world is than that little cloister of a church that you've been involved with. And we talked a minute ago about the concept of entertainment. Well, what did you like about church? It's okay to like it because it's designed to entertain you. So what did you like? Was it the music? Well, you know what? For a lot of people, it is the music. And if that's you, I'm here to tell you, there are loads of music venues out there where you can enjoy it. But I want to sing. You know what? I feel you because I want to sing. And you know what? There are vocal groups out there that you can join. There are other avenues. And, you know, it may not be the same as a worship service, but, you know, a live concert, I'm sorry, it evokes the same feels for me, oh, the same energies. So think about it in those terms. Think about all of the parts of the experience and how they mesh together to form those feels inside your head. They are obtainable in other areas and in other venues, and you should be exploring them. Oh, yeah. And if you are a reader... There are other books out there besides the Bible. You'll be amazed at how many fun stories there are to read. And, you know, you can cancel your Pure Flix membership and find something better on yeah. one of the other streaming services. There's a lot of good movies and a lot of entertainment out there that hasn't been Jesusified for your protection. Okay? Yeah. This one kind of just sort of popped into my head, and I'm going to toss it out there because I don't think I've ever talked about this directly on the show before. You like sermons? Um podcasts perhaps some of them anyway and you know i'm going to be completely transparent here there's a reason why i deliver the messaging on this show the way that i do it's the product of several classes on preaching and homiletics 
that have gone into the making of this show. Because of the group that I'm trying to reach, mm. I want to be relatable to people who actually enjoy a good sermon. Yeah. You know, if you relate to my delivery, well, guess what? Now you know why. It's on purpose. It's completely on purpose. Sermonizing is another form of entertainment. I've seen many a crowd whipped into a froth over good preaching. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's an entertainment medium, and there's nothing wrong with liking it either. So don't worry. There are alternatives to that too. And I try to sort of kind of create one of them with this show because I know how evangelicals think and I know the kinds of content that resonate with them. So yes, everything from the theme music to the delivery style of the main segment, all of this is intended to appeal to our target audience. And that's people coming out of evangelical faith. So how do we wrap this up? For me, I started thinking about all of the other things that came pouring out in my notes over this. And I think that it's important to understand a couple of things. It's natural to look back. It's human nature. It's natural to have things tug at our heartstrings. Memories attached to all kinds of things, objects, people, houses, even the route you took to church when you're watching it from the passenger side window, going out on an errand while you're visiting mom. You might feel feelings of loss, grief, or doubt over your religion. You might start questioning yourself about the things that you thought you had straight in your head. Our environments have a direct effect on how we see and experience things. Being in an environment where religion thrives and once had its effect on you will always be difficult places to revisit. So be prepared. But if we try to keep in mind the reasons why we stop going to church, why we stop thinking the way our parents or close family still do, and just how absurd the things we used to believe really are, it makes it easier to be in those environments. It becomes easier to keep our thoughts to ourselves and just tolerate the religiosity for the time that we're around them. Think about going back to your religion the way you think about going back to things like smoking or bad relationships. Intellectually, we know these things are bad for us. Emotionally, it doesn't always matter. Like with anything else that benefits us, emotion is always going to make a better case for harm than health. And that's just the way that it is. It's up to our intellect to keep us focused on the benefits of not repeating cycles of self-harm. And make no mistake about it, going to church is a form of self-harm. Believing in fictitious entities and basing your life and how you live it on them is a form of self-harm. Placing yourself in an environment where you're always being told that you're inadequate, weak, and insignificant is self-harm. Letting other people dictate your personal morality is self-harm. Convincing yourself that you're inferior to a character in a book is self-harm. And consensually returning to that environment week after week to have these concepts reinforced inside your head is self-harm. You are above all of that now. You know better. You know the truth about your religion, or hopefully past religion. Let the real truth of the situation be the thing that sets you free. In other words, stop looking back. And when you do look back, because you will, Remind yourself of the litany of problems inherent with religion in general and how they were allowed to affect you in the past. Ask yourself if you really want to go back to that. Listen to me, please. It won't be better this time. 
Your abusive daddy hasn't changed. His opinion of you hasn't changed. And eventually, it's all going to get old again, and you'll realize that you wasted another few weeks, months, or years of your life pursuing things that just aren't real. What is real is the decision to not look back, to protect your intellect from the influences of religion, and keep your emotions in check as they relate to how certain things and experiences make you feel. They want you to act based on your feelings. Act instead on the basis of what you know to be true. This religion didn't enhance your life or your experience of life in any way. It made you think less of yourself. It made you feel afraid. It left you with a self-image that was rooted on the principle of I must decrease so he can increase. Do you really want to go back to that? Or would you rather do what you need to do to stay in control of your life, your morals, your ethics, and your future? Because that right there is the definition of getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.